Good morning, Holy Spirit. I'd like to introduce myself. My name is uh, Mike Massey. I am the father of Cole and Emily Massey. That's my claim to fame here. Um, no longer do I have my own stake here. It's, it's the father of them. So, hey guys, did you know that you can wow God? Did you know it's possible for you to blow God away and surprise him? Did you know that you can astonish him, that you can blow him away, that you can even amaze him? But did you know that the way that you and I can amaze or astonish or surprise God is not by our good deeds, it's not by our good behavior, it's not by my church attendance or by my quiet times, although those are great things and we should do them. No, did you know that the way that you can amaze, astonish, or surprise God is by your faith? The way that you can blow him away is by your faith. Did you know that there were two times in scripture that Jesus got wowed, amazed, surprised, or blown away? Now, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And I think often when we look at the life of Jesus, we focus on him as the God part, which then means we're not held accountable to all the things that he did when he walked on this earth as a man, having limited himself to no longer be God on this earth, but to be a man. You see, Jesus did what he did on this earth, walked on water, raised the dead, healed the deaf, the blind, the leper. He did all of it as a man in right relationship to God, surrendered fully up under him, fully surrendered, fully in love with his heavenly father. And he did all of that. And see, if he's a man when he did what he did in right relationship to God, then, then, then we can't discount what he did as impossible for us or beyond our reach. And it holds us accountable to live in risk and live lives of great faith, just like Jesus did. See, if we believe that he did everything that he did on this earth only as God, then it discounts scripture when Jesus says, you will do even greater things than I have done, which I don't comprehend. But if he said it, then it's true. There were two times in Jesus, in, in Jesus' life on the earth that Jesus the man and Jesus the God marveled or he was wowed or was surprised or blown away. The word marveled in the Greek is thaumadzo. It means to marvel, be astonished, wowed, amazed, literally as I've said 10 times now, be blown away. The first of the two times was what we just read about in Mark chapter six when Jesus went back to his own hometown in Nazareth. And it says he goes to that town, you read it. It says he goes there after having done miraculous things and he starts reading in the synagogue and the people themselves were astonished. They were amazed. They were like, wow, who is this that's reading with such authority, that's speaking with such authority? But then it says, they start to go, but isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, the carpenter's son? And it says they took offense at him. And then it says, as you read, and he could do no mighty work there. And Jesus marveled, was wowed, was blown away and surprised at their unbelief. The word offense there in the Greek, it means trap 
or trap snare. Literally expectations that create a trap. A trap snare was a stick that had a prong and a box would go down in the prong and a, and a string would be on the end of the, the trap snare and it would go back to where the person was. You'd put food underneath the box. The animal gets lured up under the box and when the animal gets up under the box to get the food, you pull the string, it pulls the stick and the, the box drops and traps the animal. The animal goes in with an expectation of what it's going to get and then doesn't get what it thought and gets trapped. That was the word offense. That same word was used by Jesus in Luke chapter seven when John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus because John's sitting in prison. He was allegedly or supposedly maybe in his mind and maybe in the mind of others was gonna be Jesus's right-hand man. He was the precursor to the Christ. I came that Israel might be revealed. Excuse me, I came that, that he might be revealed to all of Israel, he said. And so maybe in his mind, he's thinking, well, where's the, where's the throne gonna be? Why am I here in jail? What are you doing, Jesus? Aren't you going to get rid of Rome out of Jerusalem? Aren't we going to have the throne of David restored that you're going to sit on here on earth forever and ever? And now I'm going to be killed? And he sends his disciples to Jesus to say, hey, are you the one? Like this is John the Baptist who saw Jesus baptized and heaven open up. And he's sitting in, in prison doubting because of expectations. And he says, are you the one? And the disciples get to Jesus and Jesus doesn't answer them right away. He turns and he starts to heal for a couple hours. And after healing for a couple hours, he turns back to John's disciples and says, go tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. The deaf hear, the lame walk, the blind see, but blessed are you, John, when you don't fall away, when you don't take offense on account of me. Jesus was saying, hey, don't let your expectations, John, of who I am or how I'm going to move or what I will do and the order I will do it, don't let that trap you, John. The next time that Jesus got wowed was in Matthew chapter eight with the story of the centurion. Jesus was in Capernaum, he's walking along and this centurion, a Roman soldier, a non-believer, a non-Israelite, comes up to Jesus and says he's appealing to Jesus to get his male servant at home healed by Jesus. And Jesus says, sure, I'll come with you. And the, the centurion says, no, 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 don't bother. I like you, I'm a man under authority and I have people under my authority. And all I have to do is say the word, do this, do that, and it will be done. Jesus, you are that man on this earth. All you have to do is say the word and it's done. And Jesus says, wow, he marveled. He was surprised. He was blown away. And it said that Jesus said, never have I seen faith in all of Israel like that. And he's not even one of us. And he gets it. Jesus was wowed by faith on both occasions. And on one he was wowed by the unbelief that was created due to wrong expectations of him. And on the other, he was wowed by a belief that came from a simple faith. 
So it begs the questions. What is faith? What is faith? What is the kind of faith that wows Jesus and no condemnation, only invitation? Please, if you hear nothing else today, no condemnation, only invitation. But does my faith, does your faith wow God? Does your faith wow Jesus? Does it take him off guard? So let's unpack it. What is faith? In Mark chapter 10, there's the story of the rich young ruler. We don't know if he was rich or young. That's what the caption was put there later by, by man who wrote the, the history or put the canonized later together. But the implication is that he was rich and young. And in the story, this rich young ruler comes sprinting up to Jesus. It says he runs up to Jesus and he kneels before Jesus and he says, good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Can't you just hear the cynicism with maybe expectations, but maybe some anticipation, maybe some expectancy, maybe some excitement, maybe some doubt, we don't know, but can you almost just hear in his question, hey, good teacher, tell me the rules. Give me the one, two, three steps. Tell me what I need to do to get what I want. Give me the rules and the boundaries, Jesus. You see, religion teaches rules and methods to create boundaries, to get God to do what we want him to do. But Jesus, every time he steps into our lives and he speaks in order to create freedom, Jesus sees a man in front of him, knelt down, bound up in religion, and then Jesus asks a really simple but powerful question in order to create freedom. And we often think that we jump right to the end of the story about giving away your stuff, that I can't have this and I can't have that. And we make the focus about our stuff and that's not the focus at all. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God alone is good. Jesus zeroes in. Why do you call me good? Only God alone is good. I think Jesus was saying, hey, let's set aside the rules for a moment. Let's set aside the expectations. Let's put aside the methods and the boundaries. I have a question for you that can set you free if you are willing. Do you believe I'm God? You just called me good and only God is good. So do you believe I, Jesus, am God? And if you believe I'm God, do you really believe I'm good? See, young man, you're following the rules. You're following the commandments. You've done all that stuff, but you're not free. You're bound up in religion. But if you believe I'm God, and if you really believe I'm good, then your stuff won't matter, and you'll hold it out to me freely because you know I'm God, and you believe I'm good. You see, there it is. That is the crux of a simple, beautiful, fascinated faith that pleases and wows God. The question is, in our simple faith, do I trust? Do I really, really trust that God is God? Not just a theology, but do I really, really trust that God is God? And then will I take the next step to believe that God is not only God, but he is really good and he's good towards me? See, no and if we're being honest with ourselves, the answer no leads to fear. And the answer yes 
leads to faith. See, fear says, what if? What if this? And what if that? And what if I step out and do this? And then what if this happens? And then what if that happens? And what if this happens? (gasps) But faith says, even if. There's a lot of what ifs, but there's only one even if. Even if. It's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're standing before the fiery furnace. They're about to get thrown in by Nebuchadnezzar. And they say, Nebuchadnezzar, fear, we will not bow down to you because our God will rescue us. But even if he does not, we will not bow down to fear because our God is God and our God is good. Is God good because we declare it? Or do we declare it because we know and believe that he's good? If you don't hear anything else today, hear this. God does not withhold from you because you're bad. God does not give to you because you're overly good. God does what he does because he is God and he is good. And God does what he does because of the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross that conquered death and he rose from the grave and sits with him now forever and ever and ever. Isn't it all marked by love? Love. And faith is a response to love. He risked it all. He left the comforts of heaven and came and walked on earth as a man for love, love of the Father and love for you and I. And faith is really that simple. It says, no matter what, I will trust you, Father, that you are God. And I will trust you that you are good, Now, I said that it was simple. I didn't say it was easy. Hebrews 11 gives us a definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Or literally, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain when you cannot see. And Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists a.k.a. that he is God, and that he will reward those who seek him, that he is good. That's faith that pleases God. Let's break that down for just a second. The word faith in the Greek is pistis or pistos. It means to come into agreement with a thing that's already true or to believe a thing that's already true. My belief doesn't make it true. It's true. The question is, will I believe it? Or put another way, it's to come into agreement with a reality that's always been true, is true, and will be true. The question is, will I come into agreement with that reality? I've given this example a thousand times, flat earth versus round earth. And if you're a flat earther in here, I'm not chastising or criticizing. But, but back in the day when they believed that there was a flat earth, it didn't mean the earth was flat. And the moment they turned the corner and said, oh, the earth is round and our ships will not fall off the corner of the earth. It didn't mean the world suddenly became round. The world had been round. It is round. It always would be round. They finally came into agreement with the reality that the world was always round. And that's faith. So what is it that God wants us to come into agreement with that is, was, and will be always true in spite of what we believe or don't believe? And he's asking us to believe it. It's found in the word hope. The word hope in chapter 11, verse one of Hebrews says, the word means the joyful anticipation of something good or literally the joyful expectancy of complete and total goodness. You see, simple faith 
The kind of faith that pleases God is when we trust all the time and in every circumstance that God is God and God is good and he is always good in spite of my circumstances and in spite of what I can and cannot see. And because he is good, we can come freely to him in every circumstance and he cares to respond because he loves you and he loves me. And here's the kicker. God defines the word goodness. Goodness doesn't define God. We've got to change our lens on God and his goodness. The greats of the faith, they understood this. Hebrews eleven thirteen says, and these all having died in faith, not having received what was promised, but having only seen it from afar because they understood that they were strangers in a foreign land. And Hebrews eleven sixteen says, but they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God and is preparing for them a holy city. The word desire there means to be fascinated by or fascination with or literally to be irresistibly attracted to. You see, faith, gosh, faith says, I'm gonna remain in a posture of fascination with Jesus in spite of what I can and cannot see. And I'm gonna remain in this posture all the time in every and any circumstance because he is God and he is good. See, faith is not getting God to move in my direction. Faith is not a power source to get God to give me what I want. Faith is coming up under God and saying, I will trust that you are God and I will trust that you are good in every and all circumstances. And then I will live my life through that lens of your goodness. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul understood that. He said, for we walk by faith, not by sight. That does not mean we don't have sight or vision. It means we have a different kind of vision. We're not blind. We see that God is God and God is good. And therefore I'll drop everything and do anything he asks and go anywhere he says go because I trust him. I'll risk it for him. Living life through that lens of his goodness invites us into lives of risk, and to do things that others might see as foolish or as a failure, but that God sees as faith and it wows him. Here's the truth that we cannot fool ourselves about any longer. That Western Christianity, I'm not down on Western Christianity, but we cannot fool ourselves any longer. We cannot sit in our pews every week talking about faith, but not living it. If God is God and if God is good, and if we're standing up under that truth, then you and I will risk and we will live like it. We will step out on the brink. We will step out on risk. We will live not just a theology of faith, but a reality of faith. Remember the story of Peter walking on water? Of course you do. Matthew chapter 14, Jesus and Peter walking on water. It should have been titled that in scripture, not just Jesus walks on water, but Peter walks on water. Have you ever walked on water? I haven't. Every time I come to a pool, I step out and think, here it is, Lord. Maybe today. You know the story. It's been told in Young Life World more times than I can count. Jesus goes up into the mountains. He dismisses the crowd. He goes up the mountains to get fascinated with his father, to reconnect, to realign, to, to hear his father's voice. And he sends the disciples on their way and they head out on the lake. 
And it gets late and they're trapped on the lake because of the storms and the waves. It's the third watch of the night, which is around 3 a.m. And they're, they're trying desperately to get across and they can't get across. And Jesus decides he's gonna walk on across the lake. And I think we read that story and think, oh, ho hum, Jesus the man just walked across the lake. Hmm. Jesus, the man, and Jesus, the God, walks across the lake on water. And I don't know how far away he was from them. I don't know what the distance was, but it was far enough that they couldn't know who he was or didn't recognize him. And they start screaming out, it's a ghost. Was he as close to Brian as it is to me? Was he all the way in the back? Was he 50 yards, 100 yards? I don't know, but they are terrified. It's a ghost. And Jesus then cries out, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's me. It is I. And then Peter does this thing that, gosh, think about it for a second. Peter says, if you really are Jesus, command me to come out to you on the water. I wonder Is Jesus crying out? Is Peter crying out? Jesus, I need to know that you really, really are God. And I need to know that you're really, really good. And I need you to command me right now. But it didn't stop there. Jesus says, all right, come on. And then Peter couldn't just sit in the boat and go like, oh, he said, come, I'm gonna sit here. He had to get up and get out with all the wind and the waves focused on Jesus. And he starts to walk. Does he run? Does he walk? We don't know, but he gets all the way to Jesus. Again, was it 20 yards? Was it 50 yards? He walks all the way to Jesus. And as soon as he gets to Jesus, he looks around. Oh my goodness. He gets terrified. He begins to sink and he cries out, Jesus, rescue me. Jesus immediately reaches down and grabs him. But then here's the kicker. Jesus speaks, enters the voice of Jesus. Be honest with yourself. How do you hear his voice in this moment? Jesus says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I think most of us, if we're being honest, we suddenly hear, you idiot. You fool." Why did you doubt? Why are you so stupid, Peter? When we step out in faith, we live lives of risk and we seemingly fail, we fall, we sink. And I think often we hear, you fool. Or we read scripture and we think that we're hearing a voice of condemnation and not a voice of compassion. But I just wonder, does that voice, if that's what you hear, does it elicit more or less risk? Does that voice, if that's what you hear, does it elicit more or less faith? What was their response when they got back in the boat? They worshiped. They worshiped. I think they worshiped because they saw and they heard love. Unfathomable, unconditional love. Is it your and my response to worship if you feel like you're being scolded and chastised and told you're a fool? Do you often feel like worshiping when you're soaking wet? But if it's love, 
What if, what if in this story with, with Peter, what if it's like when I taught my kids how to do a backflip off the diving board? You know, there they are, they're standing on the board and they're about to jump and they're looking back and they're terrified. And what if they're looking over at me and as they look over at me, there I am standing there doing this. You, make me look good. You better do a good one. You better not belly flop. If you belly flop, and then what if they finally jump? They do it and they kind of get halfway around and they do big belly flap, flop on the ground, flop on the, on the water. And then they come up terrified, scared and they look over at me and I'm going there, there you are, you do. fool. Better do it again. Is that gonna cause the child to risk and do it again? I don't think so. But what if? What if when the kid comes up out of the water, they look over at dad's face and dad is going, you did it, you did it, you're right there, you're almost there, you got it, you got it, you're almost there, come on, do it again, do it again, son, do it again, daughter, try it again. What if Jesus was looking at Peter and he was saying, Peter, you had the little faith you needed, you had it, you didn't need to look in two places, you didn't need to doubt, you had the faith you needed, well done, well done, Peter, let's do it again. Do it again. I believe Jesus was applauding Peter, not scolding him. And I believe faith that wows and pleases God takes risks over and over and over and over again and then worships even after sinking or belly flopping or when soaking wet. We risk when we know we're loved. You are loved. And he risked it all. See, I believe when we trust that he is God, when we believe that he is good in spite of what we can and cannot see, then we start doing backflips even when there's a real risk of doing a belly flop. And he applauds. <laughs> Thank you. I was gonna tell you a story about what happened a couple months ago. I, 27, 28 years ago, I made a commitment to the Lord that I would do three things. I would set aside a day for Sabbath rest where I would connect and know and get intimate with the Lord. That Sheen and I would live in radical generosity and that I would do one risky thing a day. That I would step out and live in risk for the sake of risk. And I was gonna tell a story, but I just think it, it will get the focus off of Jesus and unfortunately on to me. So I'm not gonna tell that story, but the point is, and here's the point of the story I didn't tell, is that if you are waiting for God to call you out of the boat, then you will just keep on waiting. If you are waiting for God to say, come on, come to me, you're gonna keep waiting. But if you believe God is God and you believe he is good and you wanna see it and you say, Jesus, command me to come out to you. I, got, I am terrified, but command me. And he says, come on, come on. And you start to walk and you might sink, you might belly flop, belly flop but he then, a slow clap. No condemnation, only invitation. Does your faith or lack of faith inhibit God from moving in and around your circumstances because you have missed 
misplaced expectations of how he's gonna do it or what he's gonna do or why he isn't doing that or what if this or what if that or does your faith cause God to applaud? You guys, I pray that we are men and women who are men and women of faith, not just theology. You guys, you are loved and God is good. And he's not good just some of the times. He's good all of the time. We gotta change our lens. We were out skiing in, in Utah this last, this last January and I'd gotten these new really kind of cool goggles that were magnets and all day long. It was a big snowy day. We got like 27 inches that week and we were just, oh, we were like this best. You know, but this one day all day long, I was complaining all day, these dumb goggles. I took it into three places and they didn't have the, the lens to swap out and I was irritated and angry. And I get home that evening, taking these back, these dumb goggles. And I pulled out the other lens that I had and I held it up to my face. And the lens that I'd left in the room was the low light lens that could help you see in the snow. I'd been skiing all day with sun lenses. And the Lord just, as I felt a fool, the Lord just whispered, Mike, you just gotta change your lens. Change out your lens. See through the lens of my goodness in every and any circumstance. If you're here today and altar calls can just be that, they can be something that are very impactful, but no pressure. But wow, if we start to, to, to realize we serve and are kids of the King, the God of the universe who risked it all by sending Jesus as a man to die on a cross, will we risk it all back for him? Will we have faith that wows God? Because he's God and he's good. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We thank you that in spite of what we feel or what we think or what we see, you're God and you're good. We wanna be men and women who live lives of faith, great faith, like the greats of faith, God. Not just a theology, but a reality, God. Lord, that today would be a marker in the ground that men and women in this body would stand up, whether they come forward to this altar, whether this altar is stepping out on the water or whether it's where they stand or where they sit, Lord, that today would be a moment where we place a marker in the ground that you're God and you're good and we're gonna live lives of risk because you risked for us. And because you loved us first, we're gonna love you back and we wanna wow you with our faith. Amen.